Well, hello, welcome back, and welcome back to Everyday Being, uh, our podcast series discovering the happiness that lies within and thinking about how the notion of, of being can have such a profound impact on the way that we live our daily lives. Uh, I'm Gareth Evans, and uh, once again, I'm delighted to be joined by my dear friend, Steve Knight. Steve, how the devil are you this evening? Very good. Yeah, really looking forward to this. And thanks, Ben, for joining us today. Yeah, so as Steve says, this is a guest episode, uh, which we are really looking uh, forward to. It's the first guest episode that we've done for some time, so um, uh, we're really uh, stoked about that. Uh, And as Steve said, we are joined by Ben, uh, that is Ben Chapman. Uh, Ben is uh, an independent financial advisor. He is also an author uh, and the author of Your Financial GPS uh, and also someone who has been a a massive supporter, uh, a listener and an advocate for everyday being for some time now. Uh, So with all those things coming together, we thought it would be a wonderful privilege and pleasure for Ben to come and have a chat with us. So, Ben, hello. Welcome. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. I'm I'm actually thrilled to be on. It's I am a big fan of the podcast. I do think it's really great. I've had some profound experiences from listening to it and some major breakthroughs in terms of some of the things I've taken from your podcast and I've applied to some of my client meetings. So I'm very grateful for you doing it, sharing that out to the world. I think it is really good. I think you do something very different to how a lot of other people do it. And it resonates with me. So I'm I'm really pleased to be on um, talking about my book, which kind of aligns into the similar mantra of how you do these things, uh, educating people about how they can effectively live a happier life by just managing their wealth. And, you know, a lot of people always say to me, um, you know, I'm not wealthy. Well, if you've got a pound, you have some wealth. If you have a billion pounds, you've got some wealth. It ultimately comes down to, you know, what choices do you make as you go through life's catalyst? So that's what I've tried to kind of write about. And that's, to the book so um i know that's a long um hello thank you for having me on but you know i'm excited about what we get into today i think it should resonate quite well so um i think it's it's brilliant podcast so, so what we're going to try and do for this episode, and Ben's already slightly alluded to this, is what we want to do is sort of come at it from two perspectives. Um, firstly, we are really keen to hear from Ben, as he's already sort of uh, given us an indication of is what what's his perspective, what's his understanding, what is everyday being, everyday being mean to him. Um, we do get some really fantastic feedback from uh, from you, from listeners, uh, that hearing voices other than Steve and mine is really powerful in people will be in different places with different levels of understanding of, of being. So sometimes he- hearing those different perspectives can be incredibly relatable and can be incredibly powerful to help us on our own journeys as, as well. So, so hearing Ben's perspective of that is going to be really important. So we're really keen to his thoughts and 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 secondly what we thought we would do similar to the conversation that we had a while ago with matt gardner when we thought about health we thought about nutrition and we thought about exercise is that we would think about finances we'd think about money we'd think about the choices that we make we think about the relationship that we have with with money um and 
to some extent, you could argue that actually this might be a slightly uncomfortable topic. And really, is this is this where everyday being has has gone to? But for for us, and when we were planning the, this this conversation today, we just thought about think about the impact that finances and money have on our lives, have on our relationships, have on the choices that we make. Even if we think about the impact that we've all experienced in the last few years of cost of living as well. All of those things have such a profound impact on our happiness and our, our feelings and our overall well-being that actually just felt like a really important important topic for us to think about it and think about it from that everyday being uh, perspective. So we can we can see the relationship. We'll understand Ben. We'll think about uh, what that means as well uh, from uh, everyday being perspective and, and finances. As ever, we're not entirely sure where the heck the conversation is going to go, but I suppose that is the beauty of of everyday being. So it will go where it takes us, and and, and as ever, we hope that it really resonates and helps for you. Um, so, Ben, uh, just to sort of kick us off, perhaps give us a little bit of introduction to yourself in perhaps in that context, uh, maybe a little bit more about yeah, your book and 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 what what's brought you to the conversation today. Okay, cool. So. Um, so I've worked in financial services for 20 years, pretty much in a client facing um, position. So this means people normally come to me and say, you know, I need X. So I need a mortgage to be able to buy a house or, you know, I'm worried about my family or I want to retire or I've just had this inheritance. I've just got a bonus. I've had a pay rise. I've moved between jobs. And the question was, is always, you know, what do I do? And it's not really that simple. It's, you know, we kind of end up being a bit like, a doctor when you're out and about people say oh i've got this issue and there's nothing that's black and white it all comes down to the individual so one of the reasons i wrote the book is i do these meetings with people all the time i've done three four thousand meetings with people yeah. okay over a period of time and it's quite a lot so you get to kind of understand how people behave over that kind of time frame and you have people from age 18 up to 88 okay and an 18-year-old is very different to an 88-year-old in terms of how they feel about the world, what they've experienced. And it's quite interesting going back to listen to people about, you know, how did you get to this position if you're older? So a lot of the time, you know, we talk about people that are very much in the moment and dealing with that thing that's there and now. But I've enjoyed the benefit of people providing their hindsight to me, which allows me then to pass it on to other people. So one of the big benefits of the book, um, it's kind of... Your financial GPS is structured in three parts and it was born out of the pandemic and the cost of living crisis. So during these periods of strife, we end up having more meetings with people because typically in periods of worry, you are you know more keen to have a solution for you. So you'll seek out help in that period. When things are going really well, it doesn't really matter what happens because it tends to be you know more beneficial periods. And I was having a lot of the same meetings with people Um saying the same things and the same things over and over. And so I thought, well, I might as well write some of these things down. And it ended up turning into a book. I probably could have written eight, 10 books, actually, with the amount of content that it produces. But I've tried to filter it down to the core concepts of the different things, and it's into three sections. The first section is effectively the 100-year life. So this is based on the idea that every child born today has a 50-50 chance of making it to 100, right? Um, so you should kind of earmark this for us. So we as, uh, you know, I'm certainly a middle-aged man. I've got a, you guys look younger than me, but uh, we'll see. Um, <laughs> podcast, radio. So in terms of where we're at, we've got average life expectancy of 86 years. 
uh, one in four chance to make it to 94 and a one in 10 chance to make it to 100. So you've got to consider these things. Um, and during a 100-year period, each different decade, something is imprinted upon us. So whether it's, you know, when you grow up, what your parents do and how they behave, how they deal with money is how you often deal with it. So are you someone who likes to borrow money? Did your parents do really well in life? Are they um, labor? Are they conservative? These kind of things will have imprinted on you. And it, in, it impacts how you perceive the world and how you respond to the money that you receive and the jobs that you might go to, and where you might live and all these other things that come about. So the first section is kind of understanding that we go through these decades who you are when you are 10, 20, 30, 40 is not who you're going to be at 50, 60, 70, 80. And I think this is one of the key things that I really like about it is we evolve over a period of time. And we have to understand that we will change our view of the world based upon our experiences. And then how we deal with these catalysts of life, it's very different. So the choices you might make as a 50-year-old uh, are going to be different to that of a 20-year-old. You'll just see the world completely differently. So I've tried to break that down into quite a concise thing of, in terms of how we evolve, how we change, how we age, and how, how this impacts our, our perception of the world. And that's how we make choices. Second section is, is all masterclasses. So this is everything I've thought, well, you just need to know this really. So savings, inflation, mortgages, buying a house, property planning, insurances, investments, tax and wrappers, care and older age, fraud, um, you know, all those things that really will have an impact. These are events and things that you will come to where you have to make a decision and it might create that um, friction in the everyday being because you have to make a choice. So the, the book is ultimately about being able to clear the fog of life. So if you're driving down a path and it's all cloudy, you can't really see where you're going, you'll have anxiety because you just don't know what's going to happen. The greater the clarity you can have, the more that the road opens up ahead of you. You can see the paths and where they go. So I've tried to say, well, actually, if you go down this route, you're going to go to that place. If you go down this route, you're going to go to that place. And by providing clarity for people, it allows them to feel more free in the moment because they're not as worried about the future. So this is the concept of once you have knowledge, you can then make easier decisions. The third and final section is effectively on goal planning and the psychology of money. So this, this is kind of probably my favorite section of it, really. Um, and it does link into all these other sections. So it's kind of understanding your mind, understanding what kind of person you are and how you think. So just because you think a certain way doesn't mean your friend the pub thinks exactly the same way, but they'll tell you what you should be doing because they want vindication of the choices they're making in life. And they don't really care about yours. They just want you to copy them so that they feel better and then they know the choice they've made is is the right one. So it's trying to kind of get people to kind of think about what's important for them, their family, and what's going to make them happier. And ultimately, the book tries to bring people together so that once you understand all these things, you can just go off and live your life. That's generally the, the philosophy I've got is managing your resources, which is your wealth. If you can do that sensibly and effectively with conviction, you just go off and enjoy yourself and you don't worry as much. And it's a lovely place to be. So the concept of the financial GPS is it's Google Maps, right? So um, if you've ever used it, most people have. I presume you guys have used it, right? You must. Yeah, have. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I assume you like it. Hmm? Yes. Yeah. Most people do. I mean, you'll curse it every once in a while for certain things, but the concept is you say, look, this is where I want to go, 
and then it gives you the route to kind of get there. It'll give you the fastest routes, a secondary route. It'll tell you if traffic jams are coming up, but it'll also say how you get around those things. What is the delay to you? But no matter what happens as you go through it, you will still get to the place you want to get to. So that's the concept behind it. Is I've tried to put that into you know a couple of hundred pages of light-hearted conversational topics, which kind of get you on that path, the clarity of the path, and then you know where you need to go. But as I say, life's fluid. It's not going to be that path. It's going to change as certain things happen. Like, oh, uh, we're pregnant. Amazing. What the hell does that mean? Well, actually, we need a bigger house. We probably need another car. Um, what's that going to cost? How do we do this thing? Catchment areas. And I've covered off all these kind of areas of, you know, what do they cost? Why would you do it? Is there an alternative? So it just gives you a lot of hindsight and uh, ideas behind these things. So you can say, oh, okay, that's that's what it is. Or for the average person. So I try to say, for, for general, the average person, for most people, this is the idea. And then you can say, oh, okay, you're either on track or you're not. And you can see how far away you are or not. And that's where it comes together. So understanding your revolution over time, understanding the main bits, having clarity of that by the knowledge that it gives you. And then you kind of go through it. So, so far, feedback's been pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. I'm quite happy with it, of course. But I, yes. that, I wrote it. Um, so, yeah, you know, that's where we're up to. So it, it's out and about. Um, and um, hopefully people continue to like it and, it, you know, people share it and pass it on to other people. Yeah. And as you, and as you brilliantly said, look, you have dedicated a chapter to the psychology of, of money. Um, you talked about, um, you know, sort of like clear, clearing the fog. What's some of the things that sort of stand out for you when you think about all those thousands of client meetings that you had? What You know, what are the key themes about people's, relationship or psychology when it comes to money i think it's difficult because a lot of people don't really understand or think about how their mind works so one of the things i stress in that chapter and one of my favorite books i've ever read is the uh, chimp paradox i love this and i often explain to people say because i'll talk to them and say look do you understand inflation and they say oh yeah okay okay explain it to me and often, you know, they're, they're almost right, but most people kind of get it. So I'll say, do you understand how your mind works? And I think it breaks it down in the simplest and most perfect way, the three brains. The chimp brain, which is your emotive brain, which everything goes through first, which is the fastest element. Your logical brain is what you want to have happen, but we don't always kind of get there. And then you have your computer brain at the back, which is faster than everything else. And that's the learned fact. That's education. That's a knowledge of something. So once you know something is a fact, you don't necessarily argue with it. Whereas something is a feeling, it throws you all over the place and your natural kind of fight or flight and all these other elements that you guys talk about comes to the forefront. And it's allowing yourself to be able to acknowledge that, notice it's happening when it's happening, which I think is the key skill. And then how do you adapt that? So, um, you know, Last couple of years, uh, perfect example with the COVID crisis, um, sent everybody into a tailspin. And then you had, uh, but now it seems like a distant memory. So this cost of living crisis will be a similar thing. We know that nothing happens forever. 75% of the time things are good, things go up and they improve. 25% of the time they don't though. That's life and that's generally most things. And it's 
how do we deal with that 25% when it's happening? And that's for me where if you focus on well, what is the worst thing that could happen? How, what would you do if that happened? We come across this in a lot of scenarios. So when people are insuring themselves, perfect example, everybody wishes they had it when things go wrong. They don't really want to talk about it prior to that. You know, why would I want to spend that? That's not money I'm going to get back. I can't see a definitive, I'm going to get something if I do it. If you invest, it does well over a period of time. You just have to trust that it will do. And it always does. Um, and this comes back to the theory of evolution as well. Understanding that things innovate through periods of crises. When things go wrong, human beings don't like pain. We have pain aversion. So we look to solutions. We fix something. And then we set a new bar so that if it happens again, it's not quite as bad. And then we go on and we create new disasters in the future for the new ventures that we do to improve our lives. So psychology money is a really important one is understanding how your brain works, but also your personality type. So there are a range of books on this and you'll kind of see these different various types of people quite consistently. You know, are you a worrier? A worrier will never really ever see the optimism of life. Um, people who are over optimistic will often not be fearful enough and not worry that these bad things will happen to them. So understanding how you think about the world by questioning people about their experience and so forth helps you plan and and do the right things when and put the right things into place so that it counters your behavior. So some people just do wild things because they that's how they are. So you can automate certain behaviors to counter that because we know we're going to do them, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, it does. Mm. What's your experience, Ben, of the relationship between money and happiness? Mm. Great question. Great question. Um, money, money and happiness, the, the, there's a concept about... Um, so I've met lottery winners, right? And lottery winners are often kind of, they're elated for a period and then they feel all these senses of pressure um, because it's they haven't earned that money. If you've earned the money, you tend to find that you feel a lot better with it because you've, you've done the work that provided the return, but it's unequal. So you can work harder than me and you might, uh, you might earn less than me. So money and happiness, it has a really funny way of, of kind of working together. So the, the more money you have, the more secure you feel because it gives you more options. And so you don't worry about being able to make those choices because you just think, well, I can always fall back. I've got that, that cushion to fall back and it's the safety net. Without that, people will often feel more at risk and it can create a stress to them because they don't feel they're in an environment of security. And that's that's what you really are creating with, with, with that. Um, so people from wealthier backgrounds, a lot of them will tend to do careers where um, they might go to the arts, um, but also those people who have nothing, they have nothing to lose. So they're like, well, I might as well do that because there's nothing to lose. Mm. Your middle ground is where you almost are, you know, in the middle classes where you're doing quite well, life's pretty comfortable, you actually want to go and do something else, but you feel trapped by the comfort of the wage you have, the lifestyle you built up around it. And it can be quite, quite tricky. Um, when we're younger, especially, you don't have that much money in most cases. So you're a little bit more carefree and you throw it around and it's quite pleasurable. The older you get, the more money you have and the more secure you are, but normally the more risk averse you become because you don't want to lose it. Mm. So you've always got this, um, the theory of loss aversion. So 
there's a guy walking down the street and he finds 50 pounds on the floor but he's elated he's like really chuffed and then later on in the day he tries to go and buy a drink and he's looking for the 50 pounds he realizes he's lost it now he's neither better off nor worse off than he was at the start of the day but he feels worse so once you've gained any kind of level of money any level of resources a lot of people love the idea of all those things they can then do with it it makes them feel like there's a future ahead which is brighter um but if you at any point any of that gets hit or you lose it it can be detrimental to your to your mental state you know divorces breakups you've gone from a joint level of assets and joint wealth where you can afford far more than you can on your own to a single person you know and then suddenly reality is oh I've got to sell my house I can't buy the same level of house I can't go on the same level of holidays and all these things come about so money has a really weird relationship with our immediate feelings on are we safe are we comfortable you can go to the, the Maslow hierarchy um, and start at the bottom you know that's security and that's what a lot of people associate it with but when you get down to it, when you're old and you look back, it's the time that's spent with friends, family, and laughing around that people remember. It's the experiences of life with people that actually provided all the moments that made the difference. Mm. It isn't having an iPad. It isn't that you know bigger house that cost you the thing for the mortgage or whatever. It's all about the relationship. So I think people will never have a really solid relationship with it um at any point it's 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 always a, a consistently moving fluid motion with it That's yeah i i always sense it's it's the level of attachment you have yeah because i i work with people that are you know are earned really well um mm. i also got a friend of mine who's <clears throat> father was in education and then sort of quite a bit later in his career he had a business that he sold and he it made I can't remember what it was a million and a half I think he got for you know then this was quite a few years ago so that was a significant amount of money and his he was saying you know his dad had always been that had been a real thing for him to you know to achieve that and have a certain amount of money to feel that sense of security and he said it just made him feel even more vulnerable actually, because then the, all the fear was about lo- losing, you know, losing that that money. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's quite a complicated relationship. And mm. I think there is something about, or it seems to me anyway, from my, just my own experience of, it's the attachment to it that that is, you know, if you, if you feel it's going to bring you something and you sort of get attached to that, I think that's where you get into problems or difficulties. Um, but then it doesn't mean that you can't, when I, you know, I've got a financial advisor and do financial planning and so on. So it, it sort of doesn't mean you can't do those things, but I think it seems to me you do them, you know, as part of taking care of life, but, but just be careful of being too, too attached to that. Cause I've had periods in my own career where money's been a bit harder, you know, I did sort of a bit of a lean time. And so we just, we just sort of cut back to that, you know, we just sort of cut back to our means and my wife and now we're doing, we're doing, you know, very well. And, and, and so money's not a huge issue, but my wife often says, you know, we were just, we were just as happy during that yeah. slightly lean period where we just reined things in slightly. We kept things a bit more simple, careful what we, you know, we can still do things, but we were just more sensitive. And you thought, 
Yeah, it's true, actually. You know, <laughs> I love this. This is, um, this is a, a concept I bring with my book, actually. Uh, so, a good segue for me. Um, <laughs> I refer to it as the financial diet. So I had a very similar period in my life where I, I kind of went down to a you know kind of really small amount and then I just had to live on it. And I knew it was only, you know, kind of six to 12 months. I was living in London and so I just moved there and it was kind of um, it was like a grand a month, I think. And then I had to pay some tax at the time. So I had to choose. I also had to pay my rent, pay my bills and all these things. And then there was a finite amount of money that I had that was available to spend. Now, I'm guessing that... Um, one of the reasons you were a bit happy is because you probably prioritized the things that actually gave you your joy because you've only got so much budget. And one of the things I'm, I'm always kind of keen to get people to focus on is actually what, what makes you happy? So all these activities that we do, they all cost something in most cases, but a lot of the older people I can speak to, the, you know, it's kind of cooking, hanging out with friends, walking, activities, physical things that you don't necessarily need the top end of gyms and these and kind of all these kind of things that go with it. So am I right in saying that you you probably found the things that I always talk about the 80-20 principle. So the 20% that gave you 80% of your joy, you found you budgeted more towards that at that period. And so you didn't miss out on that much. Yeah, I think and I think <clears throat> um I think also actually it 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 was all part of realizing that happiness doesn't come from anything outside of you mm. so it doesn't mean you know i like nice things my wife would tell you <laughs> I, I like nice things <laughs> so it doesn't mean that when i've got the opportunity to i wouldn't sort of buy nice i don't think i'm really extravagant but you know i would go for a designer name for example rather than something that's not no. but i think during that period I think I just realized that that actually it never sort of comes from those, you know, it never really comes from those external things. It comes much more, I think, from what you said, which was, you know, when you're just in your life and you're with your friends or you're going out for a walk, it's more, you know, you're just expressing who you are in relationship to the people in your life. And generally, yeah, it's lovely when you go to a nice restaurant, but you can do that just as easily with a takeaway or or just going around someone's house for some nibbles or whatever. I think you, yeah, it's that, it was all part of that detachment from that. But at the same time as not saying you can't enjoy money, you know, I, I, I think sometimes it can feel a bit like an either or, whereas mm. I don't, I think it's, I really like the, um, was it, there was a thing, uh, trust in Allah but tie up your donkey first so it's sort of you know trust in life but it doesn't mean that you can't plan for the future and you know I put money in my pension and my ISAs and all the rest of it but you're you're sort of doing it from a slightly less attached place I guess is what what occurred to me yeah yeah it's it's um it's an interesting concept this because a lot of the things where you're planning future if you're putting stuff away you forgo a lifestyle in the present for this kind of idea that in the future you you were then going to kind of spend this money. So even the squirrels do it. You know, nature's been doing it for years. <laughs> We've found these far more complex things called ISAs, pensions, and all the other things that <laughs> uh, work their magic, and then we kind of get there in the end. And we hope that that pot of money at the end is enough. 
And often for a lot of people, it's more than enough because, mm. um, again, how you spend your money now um, will probably be completely different in the future. So when you get to um, retire, most people have no mortgage. They have mm. kids hopefully growing up and no longer want too much from them. They always will do, but that's you know, that's part and parcel. Um, and then you, you already do most of the things you want to do. So yeah. it, you kind of evolve into this phase. And a lot of older people then become, they become so trained in putting money away and then, you know, not spending money that actually it cripples a lot of them to spend money. I, I yeah. spend endless amounts of time um, talking to my older clients about spend this money. I can show yeah. you how long it will last. And I'm normally saying, showing them actually you could spend, you could spend more than you actually are currently spending. And uh, let's go for a five-star lifestyle. And they're like, oh, I'm not so sure about doing that. Yeah. And it's for younger people, if they listen to it, they'll say, oh, that sounds like a dream. But actually, you know, it's, it's harder than it sounds. So one of the reasons I, first started this thing and kind of went into and changed my approach when I started advising the first thing. I had this old guy who I met and he um, he came and I was working back in the Halifax back in the day and they'd always bring you in with these people with kind of pots of money and stuff like that. So I came, my first question is always like, why haven't you spent this money? Because it's there to be spent. You don't want to be, you know, in the graveyard being the richest person there. It's always one of the worst things. Um, and he was just kind of terrified about spending this can't say my idea like I just don't dare spend it because what if I need all these other things okay so I made him list all the things he could possibly need it for and he still had loads left and we exhausted this entire list and I was like is there anything else you could possibly spend money on he's like well I've always wanted to I'm like perfect this is it what is it you've always wanted to do I've always wanted to go and see tigers in India and I was like great how much is it? I have no idea oh, it's really expensive great so I got onto Google I looked it up. It was about five grand. So he's like, yeah, that's quite a lot. I was like, well, we can sort you out with interest for that. If we just move this account, then you've got that interest for the year so you can afford it. And actually you can afford it anyway because we've already earmarked everything you could imagine spending for the rest of your life in that. He was like, okay, that's quite interesting. A couple of months later, he came back to me and he was elated with the fact that he'd actually gone and done this. And the experience he had was so amazing. He just could not get it out of his head how much better it was to have that experience than that pot of money like and I said to him, like, if I told you it was 100 or 120 or 90 or whatever do you even know how much should be in there no not really mm. and over a period this is kind of how people go so encouraging people to be able to spend is, is quite mm. it's quite hard actually yeah yeah once we put it aside once we once it dipped yeah. in it's um well my father-in-law passed, passed away last year and and he was worth over a million pounds. And I said to him when he was alive, you know, he was in his 80s. And I was saying to him, well, you know, Harold, he's got, I said, Harold, you're, you're a million? Oh, Steve, I'm not, you know, not. But I knew he was because of that. He had a um, lovely cottage. It was all paid and uh, various bits of land and whatever. And it was like, but he was to say, I we say to him, well, why don't you, you know, get a new car? And he was like, no, I'm just really happy with the car I've got. And, and so on. So, so his girls are, you know, he's got four girls, so they've all sort of benefited from that. But yeah, it was you could really see you've brought up in that generation of just save and put it into well back then sort of land, you know, because it's sort of farmland and things, but obviously that's not worth so much now. But yeah, you could really see there's a real reluctance to to sort of spend it. Um whereas I'm saying to my kids, you know, I'm just gonna 
I'm going to have it counting down. <laughs> maybe I need to up the age. I was thinking 80s, maybe I'll go to 100 just so I make sure <laughs> covered all the bases I've got enough to go for that long. Um, but it, it, yeah, is it, is it very interesting, I think, as to that balance, isn't it, between living now and and, and sort of saving for the future? It's, um... Do you think it's fear, Steve? Is it fear? Uh, yeah, I don't know, actually. I, I, uh, I think, I, I think if I think about his generation, I think it was that those lean top, you know, during the, you know, he uh, was there during the Second World War and, you know, when times after that and then times were really tough. So I think there was something about, um, you, you know, making sure that you were prepared for a future and you didn't know what that what that future might look like. Mm. Um, yeah, mine, I suppose, because I'm, so Ben, I'm 55, so I'm 56 next year. So uh, I think I can start to take my pension. So my financial advisor tells me, if, you know, you want to and so you do start to sort of think about when you're going to stop working and how much money you've got and I think you know where you do regular health checks with him and we're sort of in a good sort of good place um and I suppose for me there's also just partly around you could be retired for quite a long period of time so I'm also thinking I've, I know I know friends of family that have retired around this time or maybe in the, over the next couple of years but sort of for me, I just think, God, I, I'm not sure I could not work. I, it, I just feel, I almost feel too young to sort of to stop as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's very interesting how you have those different pools as to I want to do something meaningful. I want to have enough money. I want to have the, the lifestyle I want. You know, it, it, yeah, it's quite a quite a number of different threads to that. I think what I'm experiencing. Yeah, so there's certainly a lot of variables. So you're you're in the modern world now. So the modern world means that a lot of things have changed. So previous kind of generations, you had to kind of take certain things. You had to take, you had to buy all this income. And now you've got the options of choice. We've never been healthier as older people than we are now. And this uh, improvement of health is going to go exponentially greater. So the COVID vaccine and the RNA uh, technology that's kind of allowing lots of things to improve, the next decade, you're going to see a dramatic improvement improvement of longevity so you should be planning for it more than you've ever done and um, we're more active than we've ever been we're more conscious we prove our diet so um, you know i was listening in the car with my wife and um, we were driving and we were listening to your podcast with um i can't remember his name no with that about yeah great i love that and it's this is the kind of stuff that we talk about nowadays people don't talk about that anymore the old days you know they, they wouldn't do it and so it depends upon your level of health sometimes so if you're Typically, what you'll have is the, the younger you retire, you're going to do more active things. But the older you get, you get to about age 75. And then most people spend a third less mm. than they would do mm. because you're old. Right. And you, it, it's, you just don't do as much. Um, and it's not necessarily because you can't. And for some people, it, it might be. But you don't, don't spend as much. So you end up building up lots of extra money from all these pensions, different bits. You've got that you're just not spending the same amount. Um and 
it, it's quite difficult at, at that point to kind of do anything else. Um, if your health deteriorates, you might not be able to spend it, might be able to kind of do these things. But also, when you do get older, you you like where you live. You've, you've chosen to live there for a very good reason. You already know you've spent your time in the world. This is where I live. This is what I want to do. I've got my bed. I really like my bed. You know, the older we get, the more comfort we want. And you don't necessarily want to kind of do all this travel. So this discretion we spend tends to drop quite a lot. So ideally, if you can um, be, the modern world's almost a perfect version of this, where you, you can kind of semi-retire so the more popular thing now is actually I'm got energy. I'm, I'm you know full of beans. I want to kind of still do stuff. I just don't want to do it five days a week. Mm. You know, so you start to pivot and you move around from working five days to two. Your weekend becomes your work week, and your work week becomes your weekend. So that gives you even more energy. You can do lots of these different things. So lots of people now go into vocations or other elements because you're in something that you really enjoy. You can see longevity in your work as well, and you're good at it. So your earning potential is even better the older you get because your experience is even better. Mm. So you might find that you do it and you don't even need the money um, because you cover your bills, you paid off your mortgage, everything's quite comfortable. You can still go on holiday. Um, and that's a fine place to be. It just, it just is what it is. So um, the modern world is evolving in this, in this path. And I think it, you've never had more options available for you to enjoy it. It's just having that freedom to be, be able to do it. And no guilt about saying, well, I can afford to stop working. Why haven't I? Because everyone else would want you to if you say you can, because that's what they want to do. Yeah. I think the conflict that a lot of people have is, you know, what, what's everybody else doing? Am I against the grain or am I in the pack? Yeah. And that's where I come back to your everyday being, that we, um, uh, you know, there's, a, there's an idea of... Um, there's a quote I've got. What is it? I, I love this quote. So, um, uh, if you only wish to be happy, this could be easily accomplished. But if we wish to be happier than other people, this is always difficult, for we believe others to be happier than they are. And that's uh, some French philosopher said that. And I think this is where we're always reflecting, we're always judging against other people. Um, of where well, and I think, and I think we we would describe that, I suppose, as outside in and inside out, wouldn't we? That actually, you know, when we are comparing ourselves to other people, where we're trying to assess, you know their level of happiness versus ours actually that that is absolutely outside in living um i, d I do think that is a core theme actually as, as we've we've spoken i do think actually that time and time again i can i can see how that continues to to apply and i think it's an interesting question for us to ask ask ourselves about the sense which i'm being inside out in my relationship to to money you know we, we i guess we talk a lot steve don't we about that actually you know, I don't know, acquisition of things or attainment of things, uh, you know, from an outside in perspective is, um, it, it, uh, it's so prevalent, isn't it? You know, where I will be happy when I acquire this car or where, you know, I will be happy when I have that, whatever it, it might be, which, you know, as, 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 as th the three of us will know, actually that, that is almost the opposite of what, what we're trying to, to, um, to encourage in our understanding of, of being. So, so do you think, I do think that's, you know, a common theme. I think two other common themes, I think as well is, one is what is our sense of our being where where am i coming from what is it what is important for me um and i and i think what you're brilliantly articulating ben as well is that that does change that change is based on the stages of our life 
it changes on the circumstances that that we're in but i think that continual a question of okay if i'm i'm trying if i want to be these things or if i am these things of my inner core if i'm coming from those things you know that that is my true sense of being so therefore that will you know um and enable happiness enable the right thing to happen and i think steve as you said as well i think the encouragement that we keep given of of having these low expectations or having low investment in outcomes but still re- retaining the high involvement you know our george george pransky model so low investment high involvement and i think with that 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 does enable us to plan and think about the future and make decisions for for the long term because they are the right things to do and that's actually just the nature of life isn't it that you know look these things will happen therefore we need to prepare you know it is as you've already said ben that's that's insurance isn't it that actually in all (laughs) you know in situations i need i need this protection so therefore i invest in these things up front so that's clearly the different investment but i do think you know we've talked about you know the encouragement of you know we can't live in the past we can't live in the future all we have is is now and and these are continuing moments of of now now you know hopefully as as you as a listener of you know know from the things we've talked about that doesn't mean that we can't think about the future and think about what we would want to do or what it could could look like of course we will absolutely do that but but it's actually about our sense of making decisions in the now in the moment that 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 is the important thing so i think that there is that balance that we can of course plan and we can of course think in the future but actually the importance of being grounded in this moment and having that low low investment or low attachment let me just change the language a little bit to take it away from financial investment i I just i think i think it's something that's doable yeah i can agree more i think um Fear of the future is a, is the big disaster for a lot of people that they see coming. So, you know, I mean, you use the insurance uh, concept, and that's it's a great one because if you're to be comfortable in the present, you you need to not really worry about the future so much. And so, when you say, "Well, you know," a lot of people's minds go into this thing; they'll immediately say, "Well, this is going to happen." You know, like, okay, great. So you know the future, do you? And they're like, yes, you know, this is definitely going to happen if I do X. Okay, give me the lottery numbers. Uh, and, you know, this is something I say to people all the time, and they just go, oh, I can't do that. Okay, so how can you tell me that all these things are going to happen? You have the change of careers that people, you know, they'll be locked in there, they'll have all these anxieties about all the potential bad things that can happen. And then when we do a lot of the planning sessions for people, and I'm sure you'll have this where people do it, they make these wild leaps between, you know, A to D, and they miss out, you know, B and C. And you say, well, Let's look at these things. If they did happen, what would you do? And then once they kind of go through it and they think about it more in a present tense, as if they were there, then they deal with it in a, a much simpler sense. And I, I really like this, you know, the the low involvement, high investment um, concept. I think it really does work. The outside in thinking is quite tough. Um, it's I think it's it's you know the external thinking. This is one of the things I loved from your podcast is external thinking versus internal thinking. 
And uh, I actually wrote to buy my book. I nicked that for it. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I credit you guys for it. But I learned it from that and I, I went through it. So I, I think you used the example, if you're driving a car and someone crashes into you, you're really angry. And then you get out, you know, well, you might get out, but you'll go to them and you'll be like, what's going on? And then you realize it's, you know, an old guy's had a stroke or a woman's pregnant on the way to the hospital and you'll immediately stop. And you, you don't necessarily need to be in that mindset and you can go into your choice of logical means. And that's your internal thinking versus external thinking. And so many people are, you know, allowing all these external factors all the time to dictate whether or not they're content at the moment or what their plans are, all the different things. I think it's trying to grasp that and think about the internal bits, how you, how you as an individual think about things. What are the things you worry about? What are you doing about it? It can provide you with that peace of mind in such a way that almost nothing else can. And that's probably one of the best things I've, I've had out of your podcast. Well, I clearly told you I've stolen two or three things for it. (laughs) I'll give you another one later. Um, I was going to move on to talk a little bit about you, Ben, but but just before I do, Steve, I just didn't know if there was anything you wanted to comment on based on what uh, Ben had said. Uh, no, I, I, yeah, well, the, the only thing I just add to what you just said there, Ben, is that I suppose what, what we're also pointing to is actually we're always living inside out. It just doesn't look like it. Mm. That That's the trap of it, you know, because it, it can look like, oh, yeah, sometimes we're living outside in which I know what that means because it like that's a good example where something it looks like that circumstances cause me to react in the way that I reacted you know if someone crashes into you but in a way what we're saying is well no it's always inside out because depending on the thinking you have that will always determine how you view that circumstances so that example is just a good one where quite quickly you can catch it because you can realize, oh my God, someone's just had a stroke. So it, in an instant, it changes your thinking and it's so visible to you. Mm. So that's all it really is. It's not that it was outside in, it was just you had different thinking. And that example just highlights the fact that, oh my God, I can, you know, I, and I can change my thinking in an instant because as soon as I see it differently, it sort of fundamentally changes the same circumstances. So I think that's the, that's the sort of key key understanding in a sense is that we're always living in an in, in an inside out world yeah and the same when it same when it comes to money really that that's yeah. the that's the same thing yeah ben, ben one of the things i asked you in, in advance some some questions that we've asked a couple of other people who've, who've come on, who've kind enough to come on the podcast. So for, first off, what, what does everyday being mean to you? Um, I think it's, it's, it's that kind of concept of just being in the moment and, and being able to adapt to it. Um, being conscious about just being happy and being able to, allow your brain to notice when you're not but also have a plan to deal with it i think a lot of the stuff that we talk about you well you guys definitely talk about and i talk to people about it seems like quite a new thing for a lot of people when they hear it 
And I always kind of think, I don't know why it's not taught at school. Why are people not aware of how their brain works? Psychology should be in high schools, certainly in the modern world. Um, you've just got to kind of understand these different things are going to hit you from time to time. Life is a contact sport, you know, the old Sydney Banks. Uh, wait for Steve to quote him. I know he, he loves him uh, quite a lot. Yeah. Like, I'm that <laughs> I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he's great, you know, it's, and it's, it is a contact sport. You should expect bumps. You should expect, you know, um, volatility of day-to-day, of relationships, of everything. And um, it's just being prepared for that. So everyday being is just knowing that life isn't fair for for most of us at certain points. It might be, you know, really great at a period. You think, well, I don't know how I'm getting away with this. I really feel blessed. And in other periods, you know, some things could turn out and hit you um, sideways. I've had people, you know, I've had this course of people, you know, their husbands died, been run over, some of the kids got cancer, you know, had these things. Uh, people on simpler bits, they've gone bankrupt, been divorced, they've had all these bits. Had people, I've met the lottery winners, had people sell the business, had people get ridiculous bonuses and they kind of move job and then go up into the stratosphere. And you're, you have to deal with this on an ongoing basis. And for me, I, I'm most focused on the concept of evolution than anything else. And just remembering that you, you have to keep adapting. You have to be almost training yourself for this on a regular basis to keep yourself in that inside out world and kind of think about it. You can't just say, well, I've done that now because life's going to move on faster than we can do. It's going to evolve and it's very good at doing this. So by the time you get to that next phase, you've got to think, well, these are some of the skills I've learned. And then you you hopefully just get better at adapting those those techniques. So everyday being for me is being able to evolve with life as it kind of goes through, wow. and being more fluid. Having um, you know one of the major things I learned um, from you guys is also um, happiness and unhappiness. So you unhappiness is effect is an effect of your expectations not being met. So I love that podcast you did on that I thought really good and that really came home to me because I talk to people so much about their expectations are x and if they don't meet that then you know they're suddenly kind of in that kind of chimp world everything's angry everything's you know it's in that kind of phase whereas if it is then they're like oh well I'm happy with that but it exceeds expectations well it doesn't actually make that much difference it's just if the expectation itself isn't met if there's a there's a deficit there so the fluidity of life and being able to evolve with it to practice these skills, mm. I think is how you kind of win with everyday being. Mm. Mm. And, and when, you know, come back to the, the phrase, life is a contact sport, things are unfair. How, how do you, you know, how, when you're in the moment and difficult things have happened to you, Ben, how, how do you sort of, how do you bring yourself back to, to innate happiness and well-being. Great question. Great question. Um, I think it's it's just remembering that I don't want to. It's exhausting if you're going against the stream. If you're if you're being the salmon and you're swimming against the stream, you are going to burn out really quickly. I've experienced burnout, so I've had that in, in a previous job, and I, you know. I'm aware of the symptoms as they come up, but you can see them coming. It's like if you get ill, you get that tickle in the back of your throat. You know you're going to be ill, so you'll probably go and get some 
well, my wife's got me into this thing called First Defense, which was also very good. Um, and then that kind of gets rid of your cob, but you you know it's coming, so you're prepped for that. Certain things in your mindset um, that can just kind of come out of nowhere, and you don't necessarily notice it or know the right thing to do. So I, mean, I try I try and just allow some things to happen. If I make a mistake, I just accept that I've done it. And I think it's important to say you can't go back in time and fix the thing. You can't go and repeat that process that you've done. You have to kind of keep moving forward. And you try, I try and flow more with things. Um, and rather thinking about, I always say to people, ultimately, this, what's done is done. What, what you can do, you can only ever influence what you can influence. Okay. And then once you've done that, you have to just accept it, which is quite hard to do. It's taken me years to kind of get to a decent phase of, in most cases, I'll do some, some days, you know, I'll go nuts. I'll, you know, like everybody else. And then yeah. I try to come back to it. Like, oh God, that was a, one of those days. But that just, you, you accept what is and you influence what you can influence. And if you're looking at something, I think it's where a lot of people hit brick walls where they keep trying to influence things that they, they have no impact on. And they just keep, why can't this happen? Why can't, won't this work? Well, yeah. it, it's not, you, it's impossible. You know, you, that's never going to happen. If you put your energies into these other things, then you're suddenly going to, you're going to create a greater level of energy. So it's easier to adapt and flow with it. So I try and just go with that flow mentality rather than the conflict. Mm-hmm. Easier said than done, I know. Yeah, but it's lovely. I think it's a lovely description that I'm sure you know. We, we, well, it resonates with with me, and you know, yeah. it's a, an ongoing struggle. Well, and also what you said earlier about that it's it it's ongoing. I think is such an important thing to realise. I think that's the that that's a bit of a trap. I think people think, oh, I'll, I'll I'll get to a point and then I'll be okay, and and almost like you know, almost unconscious. Then I can live my life, sort of thing, rather than see know that who you're being is a constant um is constantly ebbing and flowing because life mm. ebbs and flows relationships ebbs and flows circumstances ebb and flow so in a way your being is an ongoing creation i think the, if you can really <clears throat> see the truth of that it it sort of takes the pressure off you trying to get somewhere because it's just like no this is just going back to what you said earlier Gareth it's like you're always in the now it's always here and now and you're creating it in the here and now it doesn't mean you can't be thinking about the future but you sort of never arrive at that in a way and I I don't know for me there's something really nice in that there's a freedom in that there's a sort of freedom there's an ebb and the flow and there's a if things don't go well it doesn't matter so much because you know it, that will change because it because it ebbs and flows so i think it just it gives you a, a more philosophical view of life but also it it encourages you to do to to control the very thing you do control which is how you choose to show up how you choose to engage in life and it's like and that's it really and what happens you know is going to be what happens but at least you're stay in your lane and you're taking responsibility for the things that that are your responsibility you know which is about you and how you're how you're showing up in your life and it's like and then everything else beyond that it's not your business right there's something really really nice in that actually and free um you uh 
Well, I'll invite you to, to explain this, Steve, because you'll do it far better than me. Um, Michael Neal, who wrote the Inside Out Revolution, uh, he's got the uh, Super Coach and Caffeine for the Soul podcast, uh, which we would uh, highly recommend if you've uh, got time for other podcasts other than ours, of course. Um, he's got sort of like, a, a, I mean, he calls it his co- approach to coaching, doesn't he, Steve, where he talks about showing showing up um uh and and a, a lovely two-step process i'm hoping this, yeah. this, this <laughs> rings a bell yeah. and you, you're looking at me like saying i don't know what you're on about no well i think I, uh, well i think his yeah his process was uh show up but yeah. stage one <clears throat> you know you've got to be and then respond to what shows up is sort of stage two and that's it so sort of <laughs> two two stage coaching model that 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 is it, yeah. Which, but you, but you can extrapolate that to life, can't you? In any yeah. situation, and and look, any money, isn't it? That actually, that sort of notion that you know, am I, am I, am I in the moment? Am I coming from my sense of of being? Is that first part of of showing up? And then, secondly, I will. I think you know. Then you said evolve, isn't it? Then I will evolve as as, as situations come up and based on the wisdom that comes to me at, at that time. I, I I think yes, it is absolutely about coaching, but I think actually it can just simply apply to to any situation. Mm. Yes, I mean you're absolutely right. The every year we kind of we do a, an annual review with people. We might see people two three times a year potentially in certain circumstances, and I'll always start with you. So what's you know has anything changed? Oh yes. And then you have, you know, all these kind of things that will kind of constantly keep evolving for people. And um, it's it's always, it's amazing how fluid all these things are. Um, to know you're on track, to know you're in the right place at any one time, I think is always quite difficult um, for anybody to to kind of really be able to kind of kind of get there um, and know the, the impact and then the response. <laughs> and, it's, it's 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 always a challenge now, and this is why life's fun um if it was all planned out and it didn't work like that it'd be a really boring place so i think the these things you you always kind of become better from them as you go through them so some of these crises things happen to people and then you come through them and you're always stronger it's like training for life right um and we just kind of go through it it's just i think everybody's always frustrated they just don't know what's around the corner mm. yeah yeah, yeah. And I think the other I just, something just occurred to me there is that I said I think a few years ago I I thought more of money as 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 an energy flow, and um, and I've gone through periods where I've given a bit more money away, and there's something definitely quite positive in that actually, and so sometimes if we're like we're having a, we're just building over our garage at the moment, you know, which we undenied about whether we should do it and and whatever. And there's part of me, like when we, you know, if we need to get work done or whatever, there's sort of part of me that feels like, well, that's that that feels like it's giving to life, you know, that that if you if you know, if you're engaging in life and you're engaging with services and what what other people are doing, then there feels something like that's part of, I don't know, being part of a community that you're allowing that to flow. So it still means, you know, I save and I invest in my pension, all the rest of it. But I also recognise that often when when I'm giving money away, 
there's something about that that feels really good and it sort of life seems to it seems to reciprocate in some way even if it's not financially there is sort of something about um I don't know that the way that the energy that that energy of life or that energy of connection or community I don't know seems to seems to sort of pay you back in in some way and so for me it felt like more of that <clears throat> as I've another way of not attaching too much and sort of just you know letting go a bit more and there's more of an openness I think than to to money and um you know how you spend and where you spend and so on so I think yeah there's a there's a sort of healthy balance I think is is what I'm saying yeah yeah, every purchase you ever make in your life is effectively you're you're spending some of the money and you're you're wanting something of value out of it. And that's something that's when you give your money away and you can help people with it, gives you um it surprises a lot of people how good it does make them feel. And that's not a bad thing necessarily. It's and the more you do it, the greater you feel kind of going going forward. And I, I would I would say the older people get, the more they have a greater conviction of that because, you know, you can only buy so many phones and every time you upgrade, it's kind of like, well, it's another yeah. grand. You know, it's another grand. Oh, I need a subscription to pay for that and God, these subscriptions got my eyeballs. But then, you know, the, the, the benefit fades from it. Whereas if you're giving money away and you're helping to the charity of somebody or an individual, that doesn't, it compounds actually. You get an inflationary growth on that feeling of greatness of, mm. of something, it's doing something. You can see where it's going and so forth. So mm. uh, it, it, I think it's a lovely thing if you can do. I wish people would do it more. I think a lot of people do, um, but we just don't talk about it probably as much mm. as we should do as mm. something that is a great way of spending. Mm. Um, one last question uh, we asked you, Ben, in preparation for today's conversation was whether there was anything that you've um, you've heard as part of the podcast or any any conversation that we've had previously that you still go that one, guys. I don't know what you're on about there, or mm, it doesn't just doesn't sort of sit with with me. Was there anything sort of that that fell into that camp that you thought would be worth saying that that I you know say a bit more or or explain a bit about that or disagree with that whatever it might be um I often remember them at the time and then I forget to put them down um because I was thinking <laughs> about this as I was going through one of the things that I think really I'd like to know a bit more about and you elaborate on more is um having patience in the modern world so I think a lot of people in the current position that we're at are expecting, you know, the world should just be better already. Everything should be better. And the social media world and the technology boom the last decade has meant that everybody's expectations is that everything should be quite quick to resolve. Um, and I think that's where a lot, for me, I think it's quite hard to be able to articulate that in, in the right way to people about the understanding of, or even if you know, how long should things take to resolve in the mind? Because a lot of the time you can explain it to people, it's still like, it kind of goes against the grain a little bit. So how long, what's 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 the ability to have that patience to allow your brain to kind of resolve and kind of go through these kind of things where you get back to the being? So how long can you go into this turmoil for in the modern world? Because most people expect it to be boom, boom. Yeah. Mm. 
mean, what occurs to me and what one of, the, and you mentioned it a couple of times, Ben, is about expectations. Hmm. And I think that is a massive, massive issue. I, I, honestly, I have so many, I had how many conversations today? Well, at least one today. And I was running a, a doing a sort of leadership program last week, which was three days. And it's quite a senior group of people. And we this came up about expectations. And I said, what's the value of expectations? I said, I've never, honestly, whenever I've asked someone, what is the value of an expectation? I said, I've never, no one's ever given me a good answer. And so last week, this group would go, what do you mean? And I gave a bit of, con, you know, gave a bit of sort of examples of it. And a number of people would go, oh my God, I never, never thought of it like that. Because I suppose, in effect, it, if you if you have expectations and they get met, it's it neutral because it's like, well, that's what I expected. So it didn't really mean anything. It's just well, that was just what I expected. So at, at best, it's neutral, and invariably, people don't meet their own expectations, or and or then other people don't meet their expectations. So it's a net negative. So at best, it's neutral, and at at worst, it's negative, <laughs> and. I honestly think that's a big issue because that almost drives this sense of, you know, what we need in life and that sense of um, uh, that impatience for things because we're just expecting, you know, people shouldn't think that or shouldn't say that or things shouldn't happen in this way. So I, I think that's a big, that's a big challenge for people. And the problem is then to your point about, well, how long does it take for it to calm down? I think the tricky thing to see is it's that the the clarity of thought is always there. That's that's the ground. That's the ground of our being. So you can't you can't do anything to get something you haven't you've already got. It's like we've already got it. That's the that's what we're designed. We are designed to be present in the moment living in the now i mean that's the fundamental aspect of the human experience when it well when are you not so it's actually more the things we innocently do that take us away from it by engaging in things like expectations thinking life should be a certain way that actually takes us takes us away from it so in a sense it's at whatever point <laughs> you see the truth of that and are able to let go of that thinking or when that thinking just lets go of you, because that's really the way it works. I mean, it lets go of you. It's just that we we tend to hook onto it because we sort of, you know, we think it should be different. So without realising it, we we keep it going because we're engaging in our thinking that's getting in the way of us just dropping, dropping back into our being. And so it's like someone I've been working with today, uh, well, I've been working with for a while, and then we were just having a catch up today. And it was really interesting because she'd had a, she'd been unsuccessful with something that was really important to her. But then she said, once I got over that, she said, my life is in such a good place. And she said, I've, she said, I'm so privileged. I'm so happy. She's got children. She's married. She's in a, 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 you know, a good job and whatever. And you could see that 
And she said, like last night, she said, an example, Steve, she said last night I had an email that came in about something that had happened to do with um, something going on in the States that she's been involved in. And she said, you know, if I'm honest, it slightly disturbed my sleep a little bit. But she said in the past, that would have really bothered me. And I'd have got really caught up in it. It's unfair. And we've already agreed this. And she had my, in her words, she had my ego would have kicked in. And she said, you know, I've just been able to just park that and just think about, okay, who who do I need to be in my response to this situation? You know, recognise I'm a bit irritated about it because we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks and then this has suddenly come from sort of left field. But she said it just feels completely different. So she said, you know, yeah, I had that little bother last night and then today she said I've just been quite clear-minded in what I need to do and how I need to respond to it and who else I need to manage around this issue because it was sort of, you know, other people were copied into it. And I said to her, I said, that is so lovely because that is, that's your, what you're describing is that pivot from reacting, which is very normal, to creating. And I said, that's exactly what we've talked about on the podcast of I have that reaction, that's normal, but how quickly can I then switch to creating and drop back? And, you know, she's able to do that, you know, more and more, but because she's been working on it, so it's not something that's just come straight away. It's like it's taken sort of time to get to that point. And I thought, that's brilliant. It's like overnight then, (laughs) something in the past that you'd have been really irritated and caught up in, you've now been able to have it and then just pivot to a different different place lovely hopefully that answers that brilliant question ben so thank you for that uh, i'm going to start to sort of look to uh, wrap up our conversation today because i'm conscious we've been going for some time although in the conversation it's absolutely flown by um so ben any any thoughts that you prepared for today that I haven't shared or anything that's occurred that you want to just sort of say before we close? Yeah, no, really. I, th- I think uh, it's been a really lovely session. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, we talked about it before, we thought it'd probably go through a natural flow. I think it's exactly done that. I think what you guys do it resonates in so many other industries. And I'd love to hear, you know, some of the other people that kind of come around because I think it's, it's everyday beings and so many things that happen through a day that's, Will just affect you across the board and it's it's not just these single things so um it's just been a pleasure for me to kind of be involved with it today really and um and kind of share some of those thoughts so thank you no thank you mate thank you for thank being you. so open and thank you for, for sharing uh, steve any any final comments from no, no, yourself no, echo that. thanks ben that's been really yeah like we said we never know quite know where the conversation's gone but hopefully we've covered your topic and you know related it back to everyday being in terms of your experience and our experience so um yeah thanks very much for for sharing that and being a stimulus to that conversation and um ben if people want to get in touch with you for anything or where that or uh, by even by your book your financial gps where can they get hold of you uh it's, it's on waterstone you can get it on amazon uh, it's in a few local bookstops um the um you can um i'll put my email address in in the kind of podcast show yeah. notes we'll put it we'll yeah, put it on yeah, there yeah, so you can get yeah. in touch there and, for, um, for people if you want to want to chat to me about anything at all i'm always happy to have a conversation 
Um, you know, I love talking to people about these things. So feel free to contact me anytime. Um, I'd love to speak to you. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. And in the same way, uh, feel free to get in touch with us at uh, hello at everydaybeing.co.uk or on Instagram at everyday.being. Uh, we as ever would love to hear from you and anything that's uh, resonated. Or even if you'd like to come and join the conversation as well, either sharing your own perspectives on everyday being or even something that you're passionate about that we think we can have a really engaging conversation uh, uh, from an everyday being perspective. So please get in touch. Uh, so Ben, once again, thank you so much for uh, your time we really super appreciate it uh, and uh, we will see you again next time thank you everybody and send you the biggest of big big loves <laughs>